Hey guys, welcome into Get the Shift. This is a podcast where we delve into science topics and education topics and sometimes things that are just in between. Take a ride with me on this journey and hopefully by the end you get the shift. Welcome into the show everybody, it's your host Cameron Gronke. Uh, I'm so happy that you're joining us for our second episode. If you're a first time listener, uh, please feel free to pop on over to the website and find out where episode one is uh, linked to. So you can check that out and find out kind of the concept of the show uh, and who I am a little bit. So um, if you haven't, please check that out. But welcome in to Get the Schist. Uh, happy for you guys to be here. Um, so, you know, in thinking a little bit, when I'm planning out the shows for the next few months, um, I decided to kind of alternate months. So this month, I really want to focus on science concepts, and then I'll kind of shift over to education concepts and back to science um, until we get some student-led podcasts that are up and running. So I thought that um, I would talk about something that is very apparent today with the whole COVID thing. Um, and I think, you know, everybody hears it and hears it and hears it, but I thought it would be interesting to do a show where I treat COVID like a case study and I kind of just talk about the nature of science and some of those things as well as a little bit of my own opinions um, and kind of share that with you from a science teacher's perspective. Um, I'll tell you this, uh, I'm not a religious person, I'm not a political person, so I don't have any political or religious beliefs of any of this. Okay, This is strictly me personally from a science perspective looking at what I'm seeing looking at what I've read, looking at what I've researched, and coming to the different conclusions that I came to. And I'm kind of going to take you through that and explain that whole process. And, you know, um, you can form your own opinion from what you hear in the show today. Um, I will tell you this right off the bat. Um, I am very much one of those people, especially as a teacher, where I believe it's not my job, it's not my role to push my beliefs onto somebody. Um, I think it's really unprofessional, um, and I just don't think it's appropriate to share that with, especially with students. So in anything that's controversial, whether it be climate change, whether it be um, this COVID uh, pandemic, excuse me, I think it's important to give you the facts, give you the science end of it, and then you're entitled to have your own opinion. Uh, I'm not going to sit here and judge you for whatever your opinion is. You're entitled to that, right? We live in a free country. You're entitled to have that. Um, all that I ask is that you don't go and attack somebody else for their beliefs based on what you hear in the show. So with that being said, let's get into it, right? So um, I think it's important to really ex- delve into what science is itself and what science is at its core before we get into COVID and talking about that. Um, and I always talk about this with my freshmen. Um, I'll always do it a little bit with my sophomores too. Um, but the thing is, what is science? Uh, and what I like is, is science is a field study that studies the natural world. Uh, when we talk about the natural world, that is things that are observable, that are measurable and detectable. So typically science is going to be dealing with anything that you can measure, observe, see, all those things. So with that being said, it doesn't nece- it doesn't deal with things that you can't measure, that you can't see. So typically the supernatural, religion, science doesn't... Um, deal with those particular areas. Now, it doesn't mean that scientists don't believe in religion or paranormal. 
they just separate themselves. Basically, science is going to say, hey, I'm over here, and you guys are there. You're going to do your thing. We're going to do our thing. But based on what we think and what we believe, we're not going to dabble in your particular area. So that's science. But what I also like about science is that science is ever-changing. There's rarely anything in science that is 100% fact. Right. The closest thing you're going to get is a scientific law. Um, but for the most part, science is ever changing. And that is um, really interesting to me, because when you look at covid, um, everybody came out and said, hey, you're wrong. Hey, you're wrong. Oh, science is wrong. Science doesn't know what they're talking about, because we said this back in May and we're saying this now in August. And that's um, I'm going to be honest here. It's a little bit BS because science is ever-changing and science always makes um, observations or hypotheses which we'll talk about in a second and they evaluate those consistently we've had numerous scientific theories and ideas that have changed over the years it's just that the public eye isn't focused on those particular things as much as with covid and so people tend to ignore it but just because they're changing their stance doesn't mean that they're wrong it just means that they learn more so I think when you have scientists coming out and saying, okay, well now it's this way, or you know, we changed our stance on masks and different things like that, it's because we're doing, we're learning more. We've only had so much time to study this particular virus, so it takes time to come to those conclusions. And I understand that it makes that hard on the political side of it, where people have to make decisions and choices every day, but we have to be flexible, because that's what science is. Because when you rush science and you come to conclusions too quickly, that's when you do bad data, bad science, and it, it, it leaves a bad image for the field of science itself. So it's ever-changing, um, and that's what's really awesome about it. And a lot of times in science, you see these concepts of theories and laws, right? Scientific theories such as the theory of evolution or the theory of the Big Bang theory, which is the theory of the formation of the universe. Um, a lot of people think, oh, well, because it's a theory, it's not correct. There's still things that make it not correct, right? And that's, that's also a false perception because scientific theories are loads and loads and loads and loads of repeatable data, right? Look at the theory of climate change. There's a whole bunch of data that backs that up. The reason that they don't come out and say it's fact is because there are variables yet that we still don't necessarily have the technology to um, study those things. And so we don't want to say, okay, well, it's 100% true because there might be a 1% chance that we're off. And a scientific law is a little bit different. A scientific law is more of a description of what's going to happen. So gravity, right? If I take this pencil that I'm holding, obviously you can't see that, but if I drop it, I know that it's going to fall to the ground. So when we talk about scientific laws, those are things that are descriptions. So we're they're as close to fact as you're going to get. Okay. So it's important to distinguish that when you're reading science, if you're doing your own research, what the difference between a theory and a law is. A theory doesn't mean it's just an idea. It's got a lot of evidence that backs that up. Even when you look in criminal investigations, right? When you give testimony, you can never say it's 100% certain. Never. You can get to 99, you can get to 95, whatever it is going to be. But 
science doesn't like to ever say that it's proven or it's, this is what it is because if you say it's proven then you're opening yourself up for error and you're opening yourself up for criticism by not saying that anything is 100% true we're allowing ourselves that room to learn more and evaluate more and change as we need to okay and opinions that's a whole different ball game right so when you when you come up with an opinion if there's no data that backs that up that's not a good opinion um, I'll give you an example. Um, I remember in Christy Nome's, uh, the governor of South Dakota, her um, speech about kids going back to school. And in there, she referenced a doctor saying that there's no risk for kids to be in school. And so me, being the science guy, I researched that guy's name and when he said that specific quote. And I'm forgetting the quote. Forgive me. I forgot to write it down. But when he gave that, he gave that as an opinion on a news station. He didn't back that up with any data. There's no study out there that backs that up either. And I'll talk about a study that did address schools that she referenced that was a bad experiment. There was no data given. It was an opinion-based comment. And so that is completely different than a scientific theory because there's no data to back that up. So you can't take that for granted. So that doesn't fall under the science category. I don't care if he's a doctor. And your opinion that you get off social media is definitely not a good opinion. It doesn't make it valid. When you want to get into a debate, if that's what you love to do over COVID, you need to do your research and you need to look at what is the proper science if you're going to use numbers and you're going to use science to do that. And we'll get into that a little bit here. Okay. But when we talk about science and, and we're going to apply this to COVID, right? The, the classic old school idea of science was the scientific method where a set of rigid steps where you make an observation, you develop a hypothesis, you do experiments, all this stuff, right? But it's since um, been changed. We don't like to call it the scientific method and we don't like to think of it as a strict set of steps, right? Um, so it's called what I call it is the process of science, right? It's, it's taking science and applying it to a problem and just going through and being able to make that observation hypothesis, but then go back based off more observations and revise that, right? So when we make observations, we're seeing what it does. So like when COVID first kind of started popping up on everybody's radar, observations that scientists would have made is, okay, um, this these are the um, symptoms that it produces. That's an observation. Um, this is how we think it spreads. That's an observation. This is how long we think it stays on materials. Um, that was based off observations and things like that. And so um, typically that's where you start is making those observations and then you develop your hypothesis. And a hypothesis is basically um, like a soft version of a scientific theory. A hypothesis is an educated guess that you think an educated, I shouldn't say guess, but it's an educated explanation of what you think will happen based on the observations that you have at the time, right? So a hypothesis, there's been a whole bunch. Um, the stance on masks change when we don't need to wear masks. Um, I know early on when we were ending school back in May, um, they said that it the virus was capable of living on certain materials for 72 hours or 48 hours and this and that, whatever. Um, and we also looked at how easily the virus spread between people, which is called an R-naught value. 
And that changed as well. It used to be, I believe it was initially believed to be around two, and now they believe it's around five. And that number has changed a lot as well. Those are all hypotheses, right? And so you see these hypotheses come out, and they announce it, of course, because the media and everybody is pushing to get answers and learn more. So when these things come out, and then the scientists don't necessarily have an opportunity to test them yet, so everybody just takes that and runs with it. Well, you got to test it. So typically when you make a hypothesis, then you will apply an experiment to that. Um, and that's doing your tests, things like that. Like recently, Duke came out with a study on masks and their effectiveness, um, which we'll get into in a little bit. Um, and then you look at your results and then you come to your conclusion. The conclusion is a really big portion of it because if your, if your original hypothesis was found to be incorrect based on the data, right? Let's, let's go to the um, example of it living on surfaces for so long, right? So initially they said they came out with a 72 hours or whatever it was, right? And they said this was how long that it, it would live on these materials. Well, then they go through and test it. And they're like, oh, okay, that's not necessarily correct. So their hypothesis was disproven by the results. It doesn't mean they were wrong. They just learned, right? Science is a process. It's all about learning. It's all about finding new information and making a better hypothesis. So they find that it's incorrect. They go back to their original hypothesis. They tweak it. Then they test it again and see if it holds up. If their hypothesis holds up, then you can say that the hypothesis was supported. So when we figured out that COVID was spread by respiratory air droplets, that would have been supported by the data. Okay. And so that's really important because if it becomes supported and there's a bunch of other repeatable experiments that do the same data, that's when you can start to move towards getting it peer reviewed by your peers that are in the same field and then you can get it published in scientific journals, okay? Now you should have noticed there, the key is that it's repeatable. If somebody does an experiment and gets data for COVID, you know, let's say that um, it's spread through the respiratory droplets, okay? And that masks are effective at um, preventing that from being spread at least as easily, right? Whoever does the hypothesis and experiment needs to construct it in a way that other people can do that same experiment. If you came out and did an experiment and nobody else can replicate that experiment, that's bad science because it's not repeatable. You can't do that. It's happened numerous times in science where scientists have been disproven because their results and their process that they did can't be repeatable. You have to have other people be able to do it so that everybody can be in agreement. And so that's what we're seeing with COVID. So that's kind of the process of science and applying it, right? But I want to talk about evaluating scientific claims because while all these scientists are doing the scientific method, essentially behind closed doors and in real time, right? All of these claims are coming out right and left from the president, from the governor, from the media, from different scientific studies. And I think it's important that every person is able to understand science and, and develop their own science literacy so that they can come to their own educated conclusions. And here's what I'm going to um, kind of pressure onto you. Whatever your religious beliefs are, whatever your personal beliefs are, and whatever your, definitely whatever your political beliefs are, when you are evaluating this virus, 
I'm going to ask you to put those to the side. Okay, because politics shouldn't have a place in science. Science is right whether you like it or not. So it's going to come down to you and your ability to separate the media and the political side of it from the science side of it. So there's a couple things in my list here that I want to talk about with evaluating scientific claims. Okay, um, so the first thing I want to talk about is a, um, a couple different claims that came out. And I want to just talk a little bit about those um, and then talk a little, bit, a little bit about some other things as well. Um, the first thing when you're evaluating a claim, uh, there was that video that circulated on social media a few weeks ago that got took and, taken down, excuse me, and it was a bunch of these doctors who were coming out talking about um, COVID and how it wasn't really that big of a deal and all these other things. The first thing I want to talk about is credentials and bias. You have to really look at credentials when you're talking about um, COVID. These doctors came out, but when you looked at the backgrounds of some of these doctors, they weren't even in medical fields that pertain to COVID. COVID is a respiratory virus. Okay, so if you have a gynecologist coming out and saying, oh, it's not that bad or, it, you know, this or that or whatever, you have to take that with a grain of salt because they're not an expert in that field. So you have to kind of separate that out. And then you got to look at bias, right? So if you look at some of these doctors that are coming out on Twitter saying, oh, it's not that risky or this or that or whatever, you got to look at their background. Are they, um, are they politically backed? Are they with a special interest group um, that wants them to say these things? Because I guarantee you that there's some people out that are saying things like this because it benefits them. And so you have to separate that out. And you have to look at your literature. Where's the source coming from? Um, I went back to that doctor that said that comment about needing to be in schools. His comment was just in a news interview. That's not good literature, okay? You have three types of literature. Primary, secondary, and social media. Social media, if you get your information from social media, I want you to take that and I want you to flush it down the toilet because no good data should come from social media. Secondary literature is typically like your science magazines, um, different uh, like science digest, things like that. And then your primary literature would come from the actual journals. So this Duke study that came out about masks, that was published in a journal um, that would be primary literature. Usually primary literature is, for the most part, free of um, free of bias and things like that. But it, it varies, okay? Um, and then I want to talk a little bit about analyzing data. Analyzing data is really, really a crucial step and analyzing experiments that have been done, okay? So first things first, I want to talk about two terms that you typically see with scientific data, and that's causation and correlation. Causation means that this causes this. Correlation means that both of these things are, in, say, increasing or decreasing, but they're not directly related. I'm going to give you a good example. Vaccinations. Back in the 70s, 80s, 90s, there was a rise in um, vaccinations for measles. And at the same time, there was a greater awareness for autism. Both of those were growing exponentially, okay? So you saw a rise in vaccinations, but you also saw a rise in autism. So a scientist came out and said, 
there's a good chance that getting a vaccination for measles could lead to autism. That is not correct. His article was taken out of scientific journals. It was retracted, okay? Because he was saying it was causation when it was really correlation. Here's the thing. Vaccinations cannot cause autism. Vaccinations are given after you're born. Autism is developed when you're being developed as a fetus. So there is no way that that can change that. Okay? And it's important to look at the data. I'm going to give you another example. Okay? Christy Noem referenced a study about schools uh, and kids going back to school and kids not spreading the virus. Um, and I, I apologize again. I forgot to write it down. But she had mentioned this study as part of her evidence. Okay? So, again, being a science teacher, I read the, I read the actual article. And while it said, while it showed the data didn't support necessarily that kids spread the virus as easily um, or suffered from it, it was also a really bad data, piece of data for her reference. For one, it was a very small sample size. You weren't talking that very many kids if you go through the article, okay? So the sample size was small and it was the only study done. So you're looking at one data point. Science usually relies on three to five to 10 or many, many more data points. We didn't have enough, so you can't do that. It was also in every other country except the United States. And for wanting to, to connect that to the United States, that's not a really good study because you need to have a relevant data point. You didn't have a relevant data point. And it was all these other countries, and it made no mention in the study if any of those schools were already practicing social distancing or mask guidelines. And that's going to play a role in it as well. But that was never referenced in the study. So looking at it from a scientific perspective, I don't think it's a very good study. Because it's a small sample size, it's missing key factors, it's missing key data. So it's important to analyze that and it's very easy for certain people to cherry pick their data. Okay, I'm going to give you another example. Um, there was a tweet that I saw, somebody had, had liked it on Twitter and um, I'll read it to you here because I wrote it down. It was from a doctor, David Samadhi, an MD. So he, he quoted that according to the CDC through the end of July, the average number of total deaths in the United States per day was 7,434 for this year. In 2017, there was an average of more than 7,700 deaths per year in the United States. Where is the major increase in COVID-19 related death? That was his tweet, right? That is a horrible way to go about science. He referenced one year, one year, comparing it to 2020, which is not comparable. You can't, I guarantee you he cherry-picked one year. Why 2017 specifically? Is it because 2018 and 2019 didn't hold his data, hold his point that he was trying to make? You have to look at a wide range. When I talk about climate change, it's an average of over 30 years. So when somebody argues with me and says, oh, well, in 2018, this was uh, lower than average temperature, it didn't increase, that's because we're not looking at one specific point. When you cherry pick a year to make your point, that's not good data. You got to look at a time span. What you should do is not pick one month in one year. You should look at the whole span 
that COVID has been happening and compare that. To date, as of August 11th, excuse me, there was 5.15 million cases in the United States and there were 164,000 deaths attributed to COVID-19. So compare the month range that COVID has been an epidemic in the United States and do that and then show me the numbers. Don't cherry pick. Governor Noam cherry picked all of her uh, data when she gave her back to school speech. And I'm not opposed to going back to school. Okay, I wear my mask, it's fine. I'm not worried about it. I want to be in school, I want the kids to be in school. So the reason I keep bringing her up is because of how she used the data to um, share her reasoning. She's cherry picking science and she's cherry picking data that fits her motives. But you gotta do the background yourself on those. And I reason I share that is because everybody has their own ideas about Governor No. If you want your own informed decision about what she's saying, look up the data that she's referencing, which is exactly what I did. Okay? And that leads me to my kind of my last point with scientific claims is fear versus fact. There's a lot of these media outlets that promote fear with different headlines, but there's also other media that promote, um, promote fact. Right, so the the one I want to talk about first is hospitals. Okay, um, everybody came out and was like, hospitals are getting more money because they they are saying so and so died from COVID, even though they died in a car accident. Okay, you have to look at that. So I did. I fact checked dot org it. Okay, so according to the CARES Act, hospitals actually get twenty percent more than basic Medicare rates for COVID-19 patients. Essentially what's happening is they're getting reimbursed for the uninsured patients and they're getting reimbursed for the equipment they use to treat somebody with COVID-19. Do they get a lot of money? Yes, but there, there's been no reported case of an hospital falsely labeling someone as COVID-19, okay? To give you an idea, so I did more research, I did more data comparison. In 2017, the payments for respiratory individuals, respiratory illness individuals and treatment in hospitals ranged from $13,297 to $40,218. And, and uh, Gerald Comiskey, a senior fellow at the UCLA Center for Health Policy Research, told factcheck.org that hospitals... Um, Getting reimbursed or getting paid is not a new concept. It's always uh, existed for respiratory illnesses. And he also said that if you put somebody on a ventilator because you're going to get more money even though they don't need it, it's like giving heart surgery to somebody that doesn't need heart surgery. It would violate their oath. Now, I know there's doctors out there that have violated the oath. But you have to look at the data and you have to look at what's being shared before you come to a conclusion that hospitals are falsely identifying people with COVID. Now, I did a little bit more research, okay? The problem with hospitals is the over-reporting and under-reporting. They believe there's a large percentage of people that aren't even getting tested for COVID, so there's an under-reporting of numbers. However, according to the CDC guidelines, if a doctor suspects that somebody died from COVID, but they didn't have the opportunity to test them beforehand, or they believe it was possibly a false negative, they can classify them as a COVID-19 death. 
It doesn't mean just because they died that this particular hospital is going to get money. There was a coroner in Colorado who said that if she came out and said that so-and-so died from COVID, she wouldn't get any money. She didn't treat that person. So just saying they died of COVID doesn't mean they get all this money. It's for treatment. But they typically are people that need it, and it's typically people that are uninsured or in Medicare. So when you take a step back and look at that, they're getting reimbursed for the things that they're putting into it. So it's important with those claims to do your own research. Okay, do your own research because it irritates me when people come out and reference or cherry pick data and don't delve into the data. They only modify it or look at a part of it that fits their motive. Okay, so masks, right? The Duke study, I've been talking about that. This study came out claiming which masks were good and which masks were bad. Fantastic. Okay, I did the research. I read the report. So basically, these uh, scientists um, built a contraption with a laser and a cardboard box. And basically, they had they tested each mask 10 times and had people say a phrase. And they had the same phrase. They said it without a mask and they said it with a mask. And they measured the particles that were emitted from their mouth. And they found that the N95 surgical and cotton masks, I believe the two-ply cotton masks, were the best performers. And the worst were the bandana, the knitted masks, and the gaiters. Those are the three worst, and they said specifically the gaiter was the worst of all of the masks. I believe they tested 14 different masks. So that's something we, we learned a lot about, because initially they said, oh yeah, any masks works. Right, and a lot of people were doing the gators because they're they're efficient, they're easy, they're fairly cheap. But turns out they're basically as effective as not wearing a mask. And it's important to understand that. This is something that we've learned more about. So as we learn more about it, now we know which masks to go out and purchase. But then I hear all of these claims from people on social media about well the mask doesn't do anything because a virus is this many microns in size. And that's smaller than what a mask holds out. Congratulations, you are correct. That is true, right? A virus, they said, I believe is like one and a half microns. I might be off. And the mask keeps out things that are three microns or so in size. That is accurate. However, if you delve into the research, viruses do not move on their own. A virus is incapable of traveling on its own. It has to be in droplet form. And droplets are what are big enough that masks can block those out. So masks are efficient for blocking droplets that could contain the virus. So you have to do your research there because before you come out and say, well, the mask doesn't do anything because the virus is smaller than what the mask is supposed to hold out anyway, you gotta do your research. Because if you know, if you do your research, you'll learn that a virus has to travel in a droplet. So again, that's a claim. You have to delve into it and look in your research. Another thing <clears throat> is I always hear people making claims about we shouldn't live in fear. There's more. Uh, we take more risks driving than we do with COVID, right? And that's really false as well because people are saying go out, you know, do nothing. You know, don't social distance, don't wear a mask, take your risk, live your life. And then they reference driving. You can't do that because the car that you drive in, 
You wear a seatbelt because it's the law. You drive a speed limit because it's the law. You drive in a vehicle that has been safety tested. Those are three precautions that are put in place for you to drive on the road safely. With COVID-19, they're asking you to wear a mask, to socially distance, to wash your hands. Those are things that you can do that now make it safer to live with COVID. But nobody wants to do those. And I think that is something that you have to realize before you make a claim, you need to research your claim. People say the flu is more deadly, or we, we, we don't live in fear of the flu. Why should we live in fear of COVID-19? Again, the flu has an active vaccination. And herd immunity, which is something I'll get into in another episode when I talk about vaccinations, usually is developed when there's a vaccine in the population. We currently have no vaccine for covid so you can't make that claim either because that's an unfounded claim. There was a professional sports athlete that referenced um, there was one and a half million of people died from tuberculosis. So I delve into that claim, right? Because this person is on one of my favorite sports teams. You can't make that claim. Because in developing countries where they have a lack of access to, to basic health care, and poverty and sanitation and all that stuff, they have higher cases of tuberculosis. It's a big problem in developing countries. But in developed countries like the United States, we have access to health care. We don't have as much poverty. We don't have those problems. So tuberculosis deaths and cases are fairly low in the United States. So you can't compare COVID to tuberculosis because that tuberculosis is going to vary from country to country. COVID will too. But again, you're making a... a a broad claim. What you should have said is there were this many tuberculosis deaths in the United States and then compare that because I guarantee you that there's less tuberculosis cases in the United States this year than there is COVID cases. The thing I'm trying to get at is that when you look at COVID-19, you have to look at the data, you have to look at the the claims that are being made and you have to do your own research. You need to look at the credentials of the person saying this. You have to look at somebody that might not have bias, right? Fauci is a good example, right? Fauci is an expert in infectious diseases. That's his job. I don't understand why people are not listening to him. Yes, he said some things that are now different. But again, we said that's the process of science, right? You're learning, you're learning and you're reevaluating your observations and your hypotheses as you go along, and I understand that's inconvenient for you. But I would rather somebody be right than somebody be incorrect. And if I have to wear a mask while I'm waiting to see if that person was right or not, and that's a small inconvenience for me, then I guess I can live with it. But I've looked at the science. I've read the reports. I looked at Fauci. I can I get it. Okay, I look at it from an unbiased perspective and look at the science, and that's how I'm formulating my decisions. Now, does Fauci have a background in politics where if you listen to Fauci, that's going to benefit him? Who knows? I haven't looked far enough into it. There's other people that I've looked far enough, far enough into with their claims that it doesn't fit. But it's important that everybody has the tools and the ability to research their own topic because your opinion that you have, you know, if you think that 
so-and-so is wearing a mask because they listen to the media and they're drinking the Kool-Aid that the media is putting out and they, they're making their decision solely based on the media. Maybe you need to have a conversation with that person because you've got to be able to delve into the data yourself and understand the science. And I think that's what I'm trying to kind of share with you in this episode is that you need to remove the media. You need to remove the politics. Look at the science. Look at the data. If a report comes out, like for example, the mask report from Duke, it's an excellent, excellent study. They did each mask 10 times. So you've got plenty of data. Now I'm sure that it's going to be repeated. It's already been repeated in certain um, videos with Bill Nye and other scientists with the Petri dishes. And I know that that's bacteria, not a virus, but the, the gist is the same, right? Look at the data, okay? So to wrap all of this up, I think the role of a science teacher in today's climate is to not share your beliefs and opinions with COVID-19. I think your role is to develop science literacy and freedom of choice. I'm going to give you tools. Today I gave you tools. Okay, how to evaluate a scientific claim and apply, and apply science to it. What was their hypothesis? What did they learn? Did it change? What did they learn now? What are they testing now? What's the background of the people doing the test? Do they have bias? Are they going to get money? Are they going to be favored in the political world if they say this particular thing? What's the literature that you're using? If you're going into an argument, you're saying, well, I saw this on Twitter, and that's my one source. Who, who, who did the tweet? Who did the study of the tweet? You've got to back that up. Look at the data. Is it causation or correlation? Is there a cause? Are they directly related to each other? Or are they just correlating with each other? Is it fear versus fact? Is this statement meant to induce fear? Make you feel bad about yourself? Or is this based on fact? The hospital thing. Wearing masks or not wearing masks. Going back to school or not going back to school. All the deaths. What bothers me is when it became acceptable for certain people to die. Because that's what I tend to hear. Well, it only affects these people. It only affects these people. Only 1% of the population is going to die. When did it be okay for people to die? I'm sorry now we're getting into my opinions. But I think that's something to consider. Right? Elderly people, people with respiratory conditions. I have asthma personally, which is why I wear a mask. And my wife works at a hospital, and I don't want to bring something to school and pass it on because I don't want to be the reason that one of my kids' grandparents gets it and then potentially dies. I feel like my opinion is if it's a small inconvenience based on the data I know, I'm going to make a calculated decision to wear a mask. And if I find out later that it was... No, I didn't need to wear a mask, and it was, they were wrong, and they learned more. So be it. My wife wears a mask at work all the time. And it seems like a small sacrifice for me. I think, again, as my role as a science teacher, is my job is to prepare these kids for when they go out into society and deal with situations like this, and they can make their own opinions, regardless of their political beliefs, regardless of their parents' beliefs, regardless of their religious beliefs. 
<clears throat> that they can step back, look at the science, evaluate the claims, and make a pure, unbiased opinion looking at the data. Because that's what I want them to be able to do. And my job as a teacher is to teach them those skills, to stay professional, to not force my opinions on people. It's not my job. I'm not here to force my opinion on you in this episode even. But I think it's my job to give you the tools that you need in order to make an educated decision on COVID and things like that. Because what we're witnessing right now in real time is the process of science. We're witnessing observations. We're witnessing hypotheses. We're witnessing experiments. We're witnessing the results of those experiments and whether they're supporting or negating the original hypothesis. We're watching scientists learn more, change their original stance. And I understand it's it's frustrating. For example, you know, we had an insert say, and I can, I can tell you that people are frustrated with what they're hearing and hearing different stories. But everybody's learning. You're watching science play out in real time. And this is what it is. And I get it's frustrating, but I can guarantee you it's frustrating for the scientists as well. Because they know that everybody's watching them. And they know that they're the qualified ones to do it. So I think there's a little bit of trust that you have to put into the process of science. And I'm not saying that you necessarily have to trust the scientists themselves. Because you got to look at their backgrounds. you got to look at their credentials. But I think it's important that you give science time to find the answers. Because it takes time. We can't rush it. Rushing it leads to errors. Rushing it leads to uninformed opinions. And there's definitely a difference between your facts and opinions. Facts are backed by the data. Facts are backed by the science. Opinions are not. There's a definite difference between that. Whether you're Republican, whether you're Democrat, Independent, Catholic, Lutheran, whatever your background is. Okay, you have to be able to sit back, look at the data, and come to your own conclusion. But I ask that you come to a conclusion by applying the science that you learned here today. With that, I hope that we can all get through COVID together. I hope that we can all be um, respectful and appreciative to each other's beliefs. Um... I take it serious. My family takes it serious. Um, it's because I'm a science person. My wife is a science person. Uh, we've looked at the data. We've made our own educated decisions. For us, it's not about freedom being taken away. It's not about being Republican or Democrat. For us, it's what we believe is best for the health of our family. And to us, we're going to take it serious. If you don't want to take it serious, that's fine. But don't believe everything you hear is what I'm trying to say. Science. It's always changing. It's never 100% fact. But I promise you, whether you like it or not, science is always going to be there. And science is always going to be correct in the end. Thank you for joining me tonight. And as always, I hope that you get the shist.